you also have to remember the second that one chaos pick happens, it can often create a chain reaction of events. So I love betting the uncertainty. Welcome to Props and Hops. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week, the plug-and-play NFL draft betting series concludes with pro better George Silfidis, a.k.a. G-Stack George. George is the host of the Monday Grind podcast, and he's also a closer of sorts on this podcast, wrapping up not only this series, but also in his first appearance, wrapping up our Super Bowl Shuffle interview series. George, great to have you back. Welcome once again to Props and Hops. Matt, thanks for having me. You're such a pro. You didn't even ask me how to pronounce my last name. You still remembered from the last time. You nailed it. And you said I'm the closer. Let's hope I, I can close this off in a, in a walk-off fashion as opposed to being the 27th out in baseball. <laughs> Let's go for that walk-off. And I think the excitement is in store with you as a guest here because, George, if I remember from our last conversation and others I've heard on the Monday Grind podcast in recent weeks, the NFL draft is like Christmas for you. So when the holy holidays roll around in the month of April, how much of that special sentiment do you feel purely as a fan of the sport and the whole spectacle that the draft has become? And how much of that spectacle is driven by betting opportunity on your end? So I'm going to tell you, I first fell in love in love with the draft in 2004. It was the Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Big Ben draft. Um, I've only been betting the draft for the last four and a half years. The The thing I will say is this. If I could not bet on the NFL draft tomorrow, I would still love the draft. I love everything about the draft as a fan, and it's not just enhanced uh, by my betting experience. That's good to hear because there hasn't been much in the way of a betting experience for a good chunk of the last few months since the Super Bowl wrapped up. That said, things have started to heat up. We are finally seeing a lot of offerings, a lot of news, a lot of fake news seems to be making the round, especially today, thanks to one anonymous Redditor. Fingers crossed that is indeed some fake news. We'll get to that later. But George, with everything swirling right now, within just about 48 hours of the Carolina Panthers going on the clock at number one overall, how would you describe your approach to betting this year's draft? I have several different techniques and approaches that I use. I uh, read everything. I am on Twitter. I'm living it. Uh, I'm I'm writing down the dates of certain things because, you know, people will look at at say something like a pro day and and they'll chalk it up to like who gives it who gives a crap. It, it is what it is. But you know, if a guy hasn't run during the combine, the pro day becomes suddenly very very important so news drives uh markets right and, and we talk about the word steam a reddit user today like blew up the first overall pick market saying he had information on will levis nobody else was you know verifying that the market came back on it it ended up looking like it could be a dud of uh of, of steam the thing is though you can actually read and pick up on real steam when you're actually just reading and picking up what certain people that are tapped into the league are saying, like, you know, Tyree Wilson is steaming to become the second overall pick in the draft. And a guy who's tapped in with Houston, Lance Zerline has been saying it since April 4th. And, you know, 
Peter Schrager's tapped in and he says it today. And, and Peter King puts out a mock and he says it. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, these are markets that are moving and there's opportunities there. So one of the techniques is, you know, just picking up on the news and, and anticipating the way a market's going to move. The other one is a lot of people are so set in their ways and they're concrete about their opinions. And the thing about the draft is it, it doesn't work like that. It, it's a bit of a crapshoot. You're trying to handicap, you know, 32 different GMs and their approach to the draft. You also have to remember the second that one chaos pick happens, it can often create a chain reaction of events. So I love betting the uncertainty uh, rather than, you know, laying humongous prices on on outcomes that are thought to be very sure things. I like to speculate on outcomes that I think are more possible or more probable than their odds that are being offered throughout the different sports books. When you touch on the uncertainty and the opportunity that can present, I feel like we've got plenty of that right at the top of the board this year. And I was going to say we can skip the number one overall pick, but just to really hammer this point home a little bit current odds Bryce Young down just a touch I'm seeing minus 1200 is a pretty decent number at a a fairly sharp offshore Will Levis all the way up to plus 450 I think he'd gone from 40 to 1 to 4 to 1 seemingly in the blink of an eye earlier today that seems to have stabilized any other context you can add to this sudden surge on Will Levis number one, or are you still holding firm on, on Bryce Young being pretty much the shoe in at this stage? Yeah, he is the shoe in. Um, and the thing is, people are like, oh, you know, Will Levis is moving and books only move on sharp action. And that's not quite true. The, the NFL draft market are smaller limits, smaller offerings. Just any amount of money coming in can actually destabilize the book and force them to move. And it doesn't have to be sharp money. It doesn't have to be a syndicate coming down on Will Levis. It could just be a random Reddit user who causes chaos and says Will Levis at one. And then a bunch of people flocking to bet this thing in. How 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 much can the book offer 40 to one or 30 to one before they have to severely adjust because they could get themselves really sideways? One of the core propositions when I created this show in terms of adding value to listeners out there, knowing I'm not a pro better like you are, I, I don't even pretend to believe that I'm one of the best originators in the world at any one market, but I do like to think that I'm good at filtering out the noise and isolating the signal, kind of using curation as my form of creation, if you will, just listening to a lot, reading a lot, kind of as you touched on off the top and trying to figure out how to make sense of it all. And in an information-driven market such as this, it's really important to have that filter for what's signal and what's noise. And it can get a lot of people's heads spinning when we're this close to the draft and rumors are just absolutely rampant. So using that Levis example from today, how would you say that you go about deciphering what's signal and what's noise? Do I trust the source of information? Does it make sense? Let's take um, Will Levis also steamed as the second overall pick over the last couple of weeks. Now, I thought this was a much better play. He, what ha- The story had come out that everybody knew Houston was in love with Bryce Young. That was probably the worst-kept secret in the NFL draft. And if Bryce Young is out of play, the automatic assumption that the books were pricing in was that C.J. Stroud is number two because he's thought of as the second-best quarterback in the draft. But it's you don't know that Houston loves him. Houston could love Will Levis, who has different traits, Houston could decide they don't want any of the quarterbacks and they could 
want one of the defensive players. They, they've got a brand new defensive minded coach. They also have a 12th overall pick if they decide to grab a quarterback there. So they have options. And if you remember something about Houston is they pick off off the board, right? A lot of people had Sauce Gardner as the number one corner last year, and they went and drafted Derek Stingley third overall. So Houston doesn't think like a lot of other GMs do. So when you start to do that, you go, okay, the number two picks a lot more wide open. Then you hear some smart guys like, you know, Suma start speculating, hey, Will Levis 20 to one, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting price. And he might not end up uh, actually going there, but he steamed all the way up to being a favorite. He's now like the number two and he's back into the plus money. But the point was it made sense. So some smart guys start speculating about somebody. You start to do the math. Does it make sense? Does it check out? And then you price in the probability of it. And it was, I, I can tell you, it was not a 5% probable outcome that that would happen. So 20 to one was way off. It's something that I jumped in on because the it was mispriced. So that's how I interpret, you know, what's signal versus what's noise. Does it, does it make sense? Are enough smart people talking about it? And then is it priced right? And if the answer, like once I get to all three of those processes, I'm like, okay, there's, there's an opportunity in the betting market as opposed to, Hey man, Will Levis is telling people he's the first overall pick. I like the look at Houston from the standpoint of, again, this signal versus noise debate, because there has been a lot of talk early on. Yeah, they were in love with Bryce Young, but were they going to get him? What do they think of the other quarterbacks? Do they go defense? Do they possibly trade the pick? Right now, looking at the second overall pick market, Tyree Wilson, I'm seeing him as a favorite, but it's at a plus price, plus 150. Will Levis, plus 250, so not too far behind. Will Anderson plus 340, CJ Stroud plus 450, and then nobody else seems to be too realistically in the mix at that slot. Overall, George, it's going to be quite the domino effect, and it sounds like momentum is building for Houston to go ahead and go defense, quite possibly, like you said, Tyree Wilson, number two overall. Given the different potential scenarios and how probable you think each one of them are, how has that shaped your betting approach as draft day gets closer? So I wouldn't bet this market now. Uh, I believe when Tyree Wilson was plus 300 earlier today, I believe that was the the absolute, you know, that was the moment to buy. We're, we're getting to the end. And here, here's the other thing. Lance Zerline's putting out a mock Thursday morning. The second he puts Tyree Wilson in his mock draft at number two, it's over. Like he, he'll become the minus favorite on draft day. So you, you also have to realize when it's time to just let, let a, a, a position go. I, I just don't think it, it's it's priced well enough for someone to jump in at this moment. But I'm looking like right down to the end because here's the thing. People will talk on podcasts and talk about all their great positions, tickets in hand. I've got this guy at this price. And yeah, I believe you, but I don't believe all markets are gone. I still think there's a couple markets that are not being priced correctly. Um, and I think there's still some opportunity and some meat on the bone in the NFL draft. And I definitely want to dig in on that, but I'd be remiss not to follow up if I heard you correctly. So Tyree Wilson to go two overall was available after some pretty solid news earlier today and the range of plus 300. Obviously at current numbers, plus 150 or so, a lot of the value is seemingly gone. And at the same point with the draft in particular, I often think of the importance of 
not forfeiting a bettable number just because you missed the best of the number in full game NFL point spreads regular season. I feel like if you miss the best of the number, it might often make a lot more sense to go ahead and pass unless you've got really good information or something that you don't think is getting priced in. But in a scenario like this, where you think there's a really good chance that in Zerline's final mock on Thursday morning, he's going to have Wilson going to to Houston and Wilson is going to close as a minus money favorite. I know CLV in the draft, much different than CLV in a more liquid market. But if you're thinking that Wilson goes off as a minus money favorite to go number two overall, how is plus 150 still not a bettable number if people can get to it before that final Zerline mock goes up? Because there is one scenario where someone who wants the quarterback decides to move up to two. And all of a sudden, Tyree Wilson may be the highest player on Houston's board, and they're fully intending on taking him. But they're not the ones making the second overall pick. So there, there is you have to build in some of that uh, into your price. I also you're talking to a guy who like, you know, I bet it at previous numbers bigger than plus three hundred. So it's it's tough for me to to like want to take a third nibble at at, at 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 the at the thing. So so. Because of the uncertainty of a possible trade-up, at this price, I wouldn't be interested in jumping in. All right. Well, speaking of the possibility of a trade-up, a lot of speculation has gone to the third pick where the Arizona Cardinals sit. seems like they're probably going to go defense or trade. And it's interesting because word has gotten out that Arizona has Wilson higher than Will Anderson on their board. So if Tyree Wilson does indeed go second overall, that could make the market at number three quite interesting. Does Arizona still want a defensive player? Do they take pennies on the dollar to trade out? What do you make of right now what the Cardinals might do at number three? And once again, tying that into how you then approach things from a betting standpoint. So like the two things that I'm thinking of, the first thing is Arizona is not a good team. And Kyler Murray is going to miss a lot of the year. And there's a very real possibility that Arizona could be picking very high in the draft again. They're not a very talented roster. So the idea that they would fall in love with one player and must have them, I don't believe that. I believe they want to trade back. Because they want to trade back, I believe they would be willing to take less than what the trade chart says for the sake of if they're valuing a, one of the offensive tackles we've heard or maybe one of the cornerbacks and they think they could still get him at seven or eight, it'd be in their interest to trade back even if they don't get exactly what the trade chart says. So then the next question is, is there a trade partner? Because in our scenario now, we have two quarterbacks that have fallen, Will Levis and CJ Stroud. And if you're sitting behind Indy, you, if you value them the same, you might say to yourself, we'll be fine seeing what Indy does and then reacting after that. But if you truly have a team like, say, the Atlanta Falcons, who are sitting there and CJ Stroud is higher on their board than Will Levis, and they believe Indianapolis will take C.J. Stroud, then you've got your your trade partner. So one thing happened is when we talked about the news of Houston may not be interested in C.J. Stroud, there was an opportunity to buy C.J. Stroud as the third pick uh, in the market. So for myself, I am very much hoping for a trade-up because I would love C.J. Stroud to go third overall. But if Arizona sticks, um, I think they go Will Anderson. So if they stick, they go Will Anderson. If they trade, you think Stroud could be the guy. Any interest, if somebody's not involved yet, I'm seeing third overall pick, Stroud plus 350, Anderson plus 450. If you didn't have any exposure yet, would either of those numbers entice you knowing what you know right now? 
here's the here's the thing that if <laughs> I'd feel a lot better if Will Levis went second overall, because then I think somebody would would want to trade up to three for CJ Stroud. Um, at the at the current prices, I'd probably bet Will Anderson. I would bet on Arizona not being able to find a trade partner at three. I think that's the more likely scenario because I don't think this is a a draft where people are particularly in love with these quarterbacks. Otherwise, Houston would be taking one at two, and we wouldn't even be having this discussion. It would be a trade up a thon. So I don't believe the hunger to jump up for a quarterback is there. I don't think Arizona finds their trade partner. All right. Well, plenty of intrigue starting at the very top of the board. Appreciate your insight on these top three slots. And beyond that, I know that there's been a lot of focus at the very top of the draft, but are there any teams or slots, let's say outside of the top 10 that have you the most intrigued either as a pure fan, like you talked about from the genesis of your infatuation with the draft or really from a betting standpoint, as we might see that chain reaction from what happens at the top manifesting itself later on in the first round. Yeah, well, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of intrigue in uh, the teens. I also think there's a lot of intrigue in the twenties. In the twenties, uh, the new scenario that came across the board is that, you know, there's a very high likelihood that somebody's going to take a running, a second running back in the first round, because this isn't a strong NFL draft class. People are saying there's 15 to 16 first round grade guys. So all of a sudden, taking a running back, which I don't believe in. Uh, taking a running back high, it makes more sense if all the guys you rate from 17 on are all second-round grades. So I think there's an intrigue there. I think there would be intrigue if a guy like Hendon Hooker fell in the draft. The The intrigue to me is there's a gauntlet. There's a, there's a stretch of like five teams in six picks that have a potential need for a wide receiver, and there's one guy who fits the bill to, to go in that range. And I would love to see which team is going to make the trade up to go get him because I do believe there will be a trade up for a wide receiver in, in this year's draft. So one of the things that I look at and, and, and I thought about if I wanted to give up this edge, but I, I am going to put it out there. So a lot of people would like to, they, they find a team that's it's a likely scenario that this player goes to that spot. And what I like to do is I like to bet that player one spot before because there's something about sabotaging a team and jumping ahead of them to get the player that they covet. So last year, the Baltimore Ravens wanted Jordan Davis. There was a lot of speculation about it, and and they were picking 14th overall. The Eagles went from 15 to 13, and they jumped them to get Jordan Davis. Kansas City also did the same later in the draft. The Bills were in the market for a corner. And Trent McDuffie was on the board, and Kansas City jumped in front of them to grab Trent uh, Trent McDuffie, and the Bills ended up taking Kyrie Elam two picks later. In 2021, the Eagles did the same thing to the New York Giants. The New York Giants were picking 11th overall, and they wanted a wide receiver, and Devontae Smith was somebody they were coveting, and the Eagles went from 12 to 10 to steal Devontae Smith. So I'm looking at markets where the most thought position is a certain number, and I like to jump one in front. So for me this year, it's, you know, a lot of people talk about Chicago bears liking Jalen Carter at nine. He's the favorite to go to the bears. I think the most intriguing thing is at eight Jalen Carter going at eight because Atlanta, who has been talked about, you know, as taking potentially a running back 
they would love a trade down because they probably still get their running back trading down a few slots. And there could be a team that sabotages Chicago, jumps ahead for a guy like Jalen Carter. And most markets I'm finding are still plus 800 that he goes eighth overall. And that seems to be the range, right? We started talking about him in the eight to 10 range. And I think at plus 800, him being the eighth overall pick, someone jumping ahead of the Chicago Bears, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Couple quick follow ups there. I, I do want to dig into this because I think you brought up some really interesting points. Uh, first off, my initial thought is if I had the rights, I'd probably have to insert a Beastie Boys audio drop because sabotage just seems too spot on for what you just walked us through. But while I think that we probably shouldn't race to overestimate the level headedness of a lot of NFL owners and GMs, I know that there there can be a little bit of that game to try to maybe pull one over on a rival or another team. I hear you on that. And then I also think there is so much at stake for everybody making a draft selection that it's almost hard for me trying to think objectively. How would somebody let it factor into their consciousness what another team might want to do when really it's probably just in their best interest to try to purely think about what works best for their team and put up blinders for just about everything else. So how would you maybe push back on that counterpunch to the notion that maybe teams trying to sabotage one another is perhaps more of a, of a narrative in theory than in reality? There's a great article on ESPN from two years ago about Javante Williams, who ended up going um, at the top of the second round. And it was the Denver uh, Broncos ended up selecting him. And within their draft room, the article was written, that they were very aware that the Miami Dolphins wanted him. Remember, teams have 30 workouts, and if they bring in a guy for you know one of the 30 workouts, sure, they can smoke screen, but for, for the most part, you're writing it down as potentially they're interested in that player. The Denver Broncos were well aware, and they jumped in front of the Miami Dolphins and ended up taking um, Javante Williams. I think teams uh, create their own board. I also think... They strategize who around them might be looking at which player. They might have more information than we do. And I do think it's with it's not so much that you're sabotaging the team. It's you wanting that player and then you figuring out who else could want that player and how high you have to get up if you really want him and, and how to jump in front of a team. It happens all the time. Like people think that trade-ups are, are like it's ludicrous, but I'm going to tell you, the wide receiver position, right? In 2022, there was two trade-ups. New Orleans went from 16 to 11 to draft Chris Olave because it was thought of that Minnesota could potentially want another wide receiver. Detroit went from 32 to 12 for Jamison Williams. They both wanted receivers. They both were willing to trade up for it. The Eagles traded up in 2021 from 12 to 10 for Devontae Smith. And then the Dolphins traded up from 12 to 6 for Jalen Waddell. When you want your guy... You, you anticipate who else around you may want him. And if you really do want him, you're willing to pay the extra capital to jump, jump ahead and get him. All I'm saying is the market's pricing the most likeliest outcome of, a, of where a guy may go. And I like, I think that there's potentially mispriced outcomes when you're, when you're looking one or two slots ahead. So long as it makes sense for a team to trade down because some teams don't, are, are not interested in trading down team like Atlanta, who's been rumored to take Bijan Robinson, you know, if you trade from eight to 10, like if the Eagles decide they want to jump the bears and grab 
um, and, and grab Jalen Carter because they lost Javon Hargrave to San Francisco and they want to pair him up with Jordan Davis, the old Georgia defensive tackle combo. The Atlanta Falcons, if they really want Bijan Robinson, they want the extra fourth round pick or whatever it takes, you know, for the Eagles to move up because they're probably still going to get the same guy and uh, and they're willing to do it. The Dallas Cowboys was the team that was sitting 10th overall when they traded back with Philly because they wanted Micah Parsons and they thought at 12, we're still going to get Micah Parsons. And they had no problem trading with the Eagles, who happened to be a division rival who also wanted to jump the Giants to get Devontae Smith. I, I What I'm saying is we're so... We're so trying to we're trying to put in like a perfect, uh, perfectly we're, we're trying to connect the dots too perfectly. Right. Like a guy's price, the shortest price at this spot. And all I'm saying is there are better opportunities if you just make a little if you take a different skew of it. And if you pick just one before you're talking prices three and four times as high. But but we're still talking about the same range where a guy could go. So it's if Jalen Carter's worth the ninth overall pick, he's probably worth the eighth overall pick. And if the the eighth overall pick happens to be, you know, three or four times better priced, that makes more sense to me because because the outcome of a potential trade up or even Atlanta might just love a Jalen Carter eighth overall. That answer makes a lot of sense. One thing I heard there that I didn't hear as much the first time is this isn't so much sabotage as really thinking, okay, if we want this player too, we just know who we need to get in front of. So it's not really accounting for anything spiteful toward other teams as much as it is really prioritizing what you need to do when you have conviction on a move to make. So I appreciate the clarification there just from the human element of how these teams can approach the draft. And then from a betting perspective, also the thought of, hey, if this is one pick in either direction and you can get several times the payout or a much better price. Yeah. yeah, You might still be placing a lot of bets that at the end of the day, you expect to lose. I don't think anybody taking an eight to one bet on Jalen Carter to go eight thinks it's going to win more often than not, but the times that it does win would more than cover the times that it falls short in the long run. A hundred percent. Exactly. All I'm saying is don't be so certain and locked into your outcomes in the NFL draft. I love betting uncertainty because this is a completely uncertain market with 32 different independent GMs and any one pick could change the whole outcome of the draft. And the more you can bet uncertainty, as long as it makes sense, you have to tell a story for why. I'm not just throwing the dark that Jalen Carter's going 15th overall randomly. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing a dart. I'm speculating that the Bears make a ton of sense for him. He's been linked to the Bears. And if someone really wanted him, jumping the Bears would be a realistic scenario. And when it comes to Carter in that range of eight or nine, I hear you on the value here. Everything you've said makes sense. But I also think about what you said earlier with deciphering signal from noise and knowing what's trustworthy information versus what's not. It seems like at the outset of the week, we got some pretty interesting information, some from pretty trusted sources about the prospects of Carter not making it out of the top six. So if that's to be believed, then maybe any talk of him going eighth or ninth becomes a moot point. So how do you reconcile trustworthy sources who have indicated he wouldn't make it out of the top six versus the value you still see on him potentially going eighth overall. So here, here's how I reconcile it. Cause I've heard the Jalen Carter to five to Seattle. I've heard six to Detroit. I've heard that. I've also heard that there's a lot of red flags and some teams don't want him. The information has been out for a day or two. Would you agree that the information about Jalen Carter potentially going to the Seahawks has been out for a couple days now? 
Yeah, I mean, with the Seahawks, I feel like I've been hearing it for months, but especially when yeah. we talk about six with the Lions as well, there was definitely a big bump uh, and, at this point at least 24 hours ago. And he's still a chalk favorite to go over six and a half. The markets looked at it. Smart bettors within the market looked at it, processed that information, and decided, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it because, you know, there's a few QBs there. There's a couple edges. Maybe a team falling low with an offensive tackle or one of the corners. All of a sudden, you know, the window for where Jalen Carter could go is 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 a lot thinner uh, than, than we're actually realizing. The markets have taken the information. It's been widely publicized, and they did not react. In fact, his over six and a half steamed. So I believe I don't believe he falls out of the top 10. I think in the eight, nine, 10 range is where Jalen Carter is going to end up going. So that's that's my thought process on Jalen Carter. Love the logic there and and using sources of truth in the betting market is more of an anchor than a lot of speculation that we're getting at this point of the draft cycle. And part of why you think Carter might slide, you touch on it. There might still be some QBs available, even if we're talking picks five, six, maybe seven. So one of the bigger recent stories with the quarterbacks, a lot of talk about Stroud, potentially Anthony Richardson as well, sliding back a little bit. What do you put into that narrative? And has that had any impact on your draft betting approach as well? Yeah, um, I think the Stroud slide is the most interesting. I, I believe he may slide, but I do not believe it's as drastic as people think. I think eight is the absolute bottom. There's I can't see Atlanta sitting there with C.J. Stroud falling to them and them saying, you know what, we're going to run it back with Desmond Ritter. A lot was made of his like poor S2 cognitive skills. Um, the creator of the test basically came out and said uh, there was two numbers that were publicized that were bogus, and it's pretty clear C.J. Stroud's number isn't what's been portrayed out there. This is where I, I love the question about Stroud particularly because this is where you separate what your belief is versus what the information is. Stroud to me is the top quarterback in this draft. I would take him first overall. I would take him second overall, but I, I do believe he, he could be sitting on the board at four and I could see the Colts taking Will Levis over CJ Stroud. That being said, I think eight is the absolute floor for him. Anthony Richardson, on the other hand, I actually think his range is a lot wider. So we know, you know how we talk about C.J. Stroud's like the safer floor and limited ceiling, and Anthony Richardson's the biggest like could be the worst quarterback that completely busts or could be the most talented based on his physical skill set. I also think his draft range is like that. I can see a team falling in love with him at four or five or six, but I can also see him falling to the teens because a lot of the warts that we saw on game film you know, those still have to be considered just because you have the physical traits does not mean uh, you're going to replicate them in the pros. If you couldn't do it in college, everybody loves to point to Josh Allen as the exception to the rule. But the problem is Josh Allen is the outlier. Whereas there's a ton of guys who once they had accuracy issues in college, they did not fix it in the pros. I can't tell you where Anthony Richardson's going to fall. Some of his markets were unbelievably stupid just a few weeks ago. Like there was positions of him three and a half and with limited juice. And I know some guys who got in on Anthony Richardson and they did very well because exactly because I didn't buy it for a second. Like uh, he'd have to go third overall. And and I'm like, it's too, you're trying to fit too narrow of of a hole here because I couldn't see him at one and two. 
I can't tell you, Anthony Richardson. I think the highest he can go is five to Seattle if they decide that he's going to be the guy they want to develop behind Geno Smith. And I can see him falling to the early teens. All right, so there's no doubt about it here. You have done your homework, and I appreciate all the process-driven insight that you've brought to the table already in this conversation. I feel like I've got to ask you if I have you on here and, and feel free to answer however you see fit. But is there what you might consider a best bet based on currently widely available odds? And we're recording this for reference Tuesday, mid to late afternoon Pacific time, early evening Eastern time. So these markets can move in a hurry. But for those catching this conversation early on, anything that you think is still bettable at this stage of the cycle? Yeah, I'm going to give you something that has not steamed and uh, it's been ignored and I don't understand it. And I believe even if the markets don't steam and close, I believe this is going to be uh, closer to 50-50 than, than it's being priced. You can get Jackson, Smith, and Jigba under 12 and a half at FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, Bet365, anywhere from plus 240 to plus 250. And this is not a um, this is not an outcome that's like in the 30% range. This is closer to 50% because Atlanta at 8, Philly at 10, Tennessee at 11, Houston at 12, Green Bay at 13, New England at 14. I can make the case for any of them drafting Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. I can also make the case that Green Bay, who was pro is probably the most interested in him. Remember we talked about trading up and jumping in front of and sabotaging? I could see someone jumping up in front of Green Bay. I could see Houston not trading away and taking him. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah did a media call, and he said the Tennessee Titans is a really good fit for Jackson Smith and Jigba, someone to pair with Traylon Burks. There's a lot of wide receiver needy teams. It was not a good free agency class for wide receivers. It's not the best receiver class in this draft, but I think he's levels above everyone else. So what's the knocks on him? Everybody's like, he's, you know, strictly a slot guy and, uh, and people like more versatility. And I've heard a couple different people say some really smart stuff on it. Um, just because you haven't seen him do it doesn't mean he can't do it. Jeff, Justin Jefferson was the big example in Minnesota who he predominantly played in the slot in college and ended up being the best receiver in football. The slot has grown in importance. Like a guy like Cooper Cup can be your number one option. And then I want to give you some just real basic stuff here, right? In 2021, the Ohio State receiving class, right? Marvin Harrison was on the team, but he wasn't in the fold yet. But Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba were all on the same roster with C.J. Stroud throwing passes to them. Chris Olave went 11th overall in 2021 draft. Garrett Wilson went 10th overall. They both happened to be studs. They were 1-2 and two in Offensive Rookie of the Year. Here's their actual raw stats from 2021. Chris Olave, 65 catches, 936 yards. Garrett Wilson, 70 catches, 1,058 yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 95 catches, 1,600 yards. He was the best wide receiver in Ohio State in 2021. And both these guys went 10th and 11th. Now, this draft happens to be just as weak as far as first-round talent goes. He happens to be the only receiver in a very shallow wide receiver class. So why is he not being priced with an opportunity to go in the same range that they did. And we talked about all those wide receiver needy teams. 
and how trading up for receiver has been a thing in the last couple drafts, the outcome is a lot more probable than plus 250, plus 240, and plus 250. That's widely available under 12 and a half. And speaking of that probability, if you're looking at plus 250, that's a break-even percentage of 28.6. So yes. if you think this has even a one in three chance of happening, then it's a bet worth making. And I like your breakdown because last week I had Hitman on the show and he said basically anybody but JSN and the market for first receiver to be taken. But I don't think that that's necessarily a contradictory take to what you just outlined because Hitman's rationale was this is a weak wide receiver class and if we don't see a receiver go until we're, you know, into the mid to late teens, perhaps early 20s, there's so much variance later on in the first round. So why lay a big price on a guy like JSN when things can get so jumbled up later in the first round? But if indeed JSN is the first receiver to go, instead of laying that big price right now, as much as I'm not afraid to lay big, big when we're talking about the NFL draft, if you've got the true probability to back it up, instead of laying a big price on JSN to be the first receiver right now, it might be much more advantageous just to take him under his draft slot of 12 and a half for a big plus money price. No, yeah. yes, he could be the first receiver off the board at pick 13 or higher. So it, it's not a guarantee that this pick would win. Yes. But I think from a pure value standpoint, marrying what Hitman said last week about the receivers and what you just said, at face value, that might seem contradictory. But I, I really think there's a decent bit of overlap there. 100%. I also happen to think Hitman is wrong. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is the best receiver in this draft class. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah has Jordan Addison above, but he has said that around the league, Jackson Smith and Jigba is seen as the top guy in this draft class. There was a really good price earlier this offseason where Jackson Smith and Jigba was the first receiver to be taken. And the, a lot of people who missed that bet are now anti Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and, and trying to find which receiver will be except him. But I, I actually don't think it'll be close. I think he will, without a doubt, be the number one receiver. All right, well, I was able to get down on him earlier on in this cycle. Probably didn't get the best number, but definitely better than what's available now to be the first receiver taken. I'll probably add to it, looking at under 12 and a half for a nice plus number. So we'll see what happens in the wide receiver market. I love that look at something that hasn't really been steamed too much yet. So thank you, George, for sharing that. And in terms of anything that you haven't bet yet, but with a couple days still until the draft kicks off, is there anything that you're monitoring particularly closely to potentially pull the trigger between now and the beginning of the draft. I'm, I'm trying to find where Anthony Richardson goes. I'm trying to, and there's, cause there's some long prices in the teens, right? Where if there is a scenario where he, where he falls, like, and I'm, when I say long prices, 25 to ones and 30 to ones and 40 to ones, I'm trying to listen and, and get as much information as I can, uh, because I believe there there is a a potential spot where he can end up with a huge payday because he's being priced as a surefire. I mean, what's his over under four and a half now, although it's heavily juiced the over he's been thought of as a third, fourth, fifth overall type guy. But what if he's the 15th overall guy and, and, and there's some potential, like I, I think someone had said new England, like is like 50 to one to draft Anthony Richardson. And they could, like, they could be interested in him if he falls to them. So that's one person I'm monitoring to see if I can speculate on one of the long-range outcomes of where he ends up. 
I really like that, especially as we get more information and you're monitoring the news so closely. If you're quick on the trigger, there's plenty of value to be had there. I will add one item, sprinkle in one more core principle of mine as I've been trying to weave these in throughout this little plug and play series leading up to the draft. Late in the process, medical or character red flags can tend to pop up. I feel like we often see two or three the week of the draft. Last year, for example, Nicobe Dean, Andrew Booth had medical red flags, Matt Corral, a bit of a character flag, and it might be profitable to auto-fade guys who get flagged if you're quick on the trigger, even if you're not first. If you're just remotely quick, a lot yeah. of these guys can't fall far enough when teams get spooked by medical or character flags. Any thoughts on this angle in the final few days of a draft betting cycle? 100%. In fact, some of the best information we get is 24 and 48 hours before the draft. And like prices are still not you know where they need to be. So if you're monitoring close enough and you hear some stuff, it could be, it could be, it's not even just the negative. It could be the positive, right? It was, it was last year was the first linebacker was thought to be Devin Lloyd for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then all, all it took was a couple of smart guys were saying, Hey man, the league values Quade Walker a little bit more than people realize. And you're picking off eight to one, 10 to one on Quay Walker to be first linebacker drafted or Quay Walker to be a first round pick in plus money situation. So some of the best information we could get is going to be in the next day or two. And some of the prices might still be way off. And when it comes to not just what's ahead of us, but thinking about the portfolio, I know sometimes so much information comes late in the process. It might be exciting to jump at a bet. But again, I had to think when you're making a strong case for JSN under 12 and a half at the current price, as much as I like it, I might want to temper my enthusiasm considering I'm already exposed for him to be the first wide receiver off the board. A lot of correlated bets. We don't necessarily want to set this up to be a massive winning day or potentially a massive losing day if all hell breaks loose. So I try to think about information that we're going to get and also what we've already laid so far as far as the foundation is the draft is, again, just a couple days away. So, Matt, George, I'd like – go ahead. There's also – like people don't realize you can ARB positions like – the the market could very easily flip to JSN 11 and a half and you might have a, a really sweet arb with guaranteed profit on the price and potentially even or middling the picks you have right like the, just just because you take in one position doesn't mean you can adjust as information comes in the the the, the draft often puts out very good arb positions and I'll, I'll give you a good example of that early in the process like the first corner be taken the chalk ended up being Christian Gonzalez because he was the fastest uh, runner. He, he he blew up at the combine and the guy who was thought to be potentially the better corner, Devin Witherspoon hadn't run yet. So you could uh, get Devin Witherspoon at a plus position. Then on his pro day, if once Devin Witherspoon ran, it became, you know, the markets believed he became the number one corner. He got swung to the minus and you could have gotten Christian Gonzalez in a plus position. So all of a sudden you, you could have Devin Witherspoon at plus 180. You have Christian Gonzalez at plus 180. And all of a sudden now you got the combo package where as long as it's one of those two and they seem to be a tier above the next class of corners, you've, you know, it's, it's not the bigger, pro, it's not a big profit, but you've arbed a good position. So there's a lot of different ways to capitalize and monetize in the draft. When it comes to arbitrage opportunities, what's your point of view on locking in a profit, such as the scenario you just outlined, 
versus perhaps instead, if these can be mutually exclusive at times, instead of guaranteeing a profit, maximizing your expected value. Because if you've already taken Witherspoon at the big plus number, and then he becomes the favorite, if you still think he's going first, you can guarantee a profit now taking a plus number on Gonzalez, or you can just not dilute an already strong position and let it ride with Witherspoon. Using that just as an example, in theory, guaranteeing a profit versus maximizing expected value. How do you look at that dynamic? Well, here's the problem, right? A lot of people are so certain who the top guy is. If you remember the NFL draft uh, of 2020, there was four offensive tackles expected to go in the top 14. There was Makai Becton, there was Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas was plus 800 to be the first offensive tackle taken. He was the third guy on the board. People were so certain that Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills were the top tackles in the draft. Just because one GM or even 25 GMs value this guy as the top tackle, that doesn't mean there's seven that don't, right? So just because Devin Witherspoon may be the best corner, there might be a team that says Christian Gonzalez fits our scheme better or flat out we think Christian Gonzalez is the better corner. They're different corners, right? So a lot of it could be scheme depending on what scheme they get drafted into. So don't uh, these people that just because Devin Witherspoon might close minus 200 as the first corner entering draft day. It does not mean he's going to be the guy who's taken first. These people are like, oh, we're giving up our plus expected value. Yeah, but you're also betting on an uncertain market. And if you can really, if, if you can get the same cluster of guys, wide receiver is another example. A few years ago, CD Lamb and Jerry Judy were thought of as the top two receivers. The third receiver in odds were, was Henry Ruggs, and the Raiders valued his speed and explosiveness more, and they took Henry Ruggs. They were all bunched up in a similar tier, but it just became, what's our preference? So that's why people are like, just stay with your original position and plus EV when, when I'm like, again, I like to bet the uncertainty. I don't, be, I don't like to believe one's a certain thing. Now, Bryce Young is a certain thing, but his price is you know, minus 1200. Devin Witherspoon's not a sure thing. I think he's the better corner and he's minus 200 or whatever it is right now. But that does not mean Devin Witherspoon will be the first corner taken in the draft. It was the example of Sauce and Derek Stingley last year. Sauce Gardner was the chalk favorite for a long time. And 30 hours before the draft, it became obvious that Houston valued Stingley more. Just because you have a really good position initially doesn't mean you can't get onto a second position and, and take take care of yourself for the nice profit. When it comes to opportunities to guarantee yourself a nice profit, I'd like to also touch on a fun game here. Regardless of current market availability, but more to get insight into your betting process, any good bets you've made so far, I'm sure do give you some flexibility if you would like to maneuver in ways to lock in a profit. But in the first place, you have to make some good bets to make that a possibility to begin with. So to that end, how would you pinpoint the bet that you've made thus far for the draft that you're liking the most right now? Okay, I've got I've got three that I've written down, and uh, two of them may not even pay out, but I really like the position I've taken, right? So when C.J. Stroud was thought of as the second pick and the Will Levis steam started, you could also get C.J. Stroud plus 2,000 to go third overall. Just on the notion that maybe one of it's going to be one of the edges. So C.J. Stroud going third overall is a dream scenario for me. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
but I think I'm in a, in a very good price point right now with him. The same goes for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I have him as an exact pick at 10th overall. I think the Tennessee Titans really want him at 11, or at least are one of the series contenders, and I think someone's going to have to trade right in front of them to get him. I got him at 50-1. to 1. It's down to 2,800 at FanDuel and Caesars, um, two places that I bet it at, but I believe it's still plus 4,000 at DraftKings, so there's still some value there. The one bet that is my favorite bet because I'm in very good is Smith and Jigba, first wide receiver taken, plus 430. Hmm. It's my favorite position in the draft because he's, you know, he's going to close minus 400, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. But I have all, there's some bets that are dead, and there's some bets that I happen to just, I, I love their position. Yeah, well played getting that big of a plus number on JSN. I, don't know if I think you can a tell, few weeks ago. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a big Jackson Smith and Jigba fan. I think so. I think you and Hitman need to have a conversation about JSN and, and hash it out. Maybe uh, you can have him on the Monday grind and, and see uh, if we can clip your little audio segment from a couple minutes ago saying you think Hitman was wrong. Uh, we'll see who the winner is there, but I think you two could have a great conversation on JSN. For sure, for sure. I, I will say similar to your look at JSN, not as big of a plus price as much as I generally tend to stick to binary outcomes to avoid some hidden vig with needle and a haystack type of bets. I would like to add that my favorite bet I've made so far would be Bryce Young to go one overall at plus 225. And that's not just because the odds have moved a big way, you know, in my favor, of course, but I think that just being somewhat patient and shopping around was something I I didn't have to work that hard for this. I wasn't hustling as much as you to stay on top of information. I was just shopping a few weeks ago when the consensus line was about even money. And one of my books had plus 225 and it stuck out like a sore thumb. And sometimes it's not looking to make a specific bet. It's just opening the menus, taking a little bit of time and attention and just seeing what stands out. I had no inclination to bet Bryce Young, but yeah. when it came to that price, I couldn't not do it. Slow moving uh, PPHs is a really good thing to have uh, it come draft time. Here's the thing. I also have the Bryce Young thing. The reason I'm not as happy is I have a CJ Stroud position, so my profit is very minimal. And if Will Levis goes first overall, I'm just going to blow up all my tickets and just red, big red cross across all of them. So I also have a nice price on um, uh, on uh, Bryce Young. Unfortunately, I've got some bad bets in there as well so it, it's not it's not the sexiest market for me yeah if will levis goes one overall then i think props and hops in the monday grind just might close up shop and be uh, done for good 100 percent. i'm gonna i'm gonna go work for the guy who started the reddit rumor if that happens <laughs> oh man maybe you and me both well george i know we, we've made some bets that have some positive equity at this stage of the game but of course we're human that means we're flawed to that end, what would you say is the bet that you've made so far that you like the least? All right, let me let me pull it up. Um, so CJ Stroud, uh, first overall, uh, was a position that I am not happy about. I also took oh, I thought this was a good bet early in the process. I took Bijan Robinson to go to Dallas plus fourteen hundred. And like it steamed to like the top market. And I'm like, you know, uh, this was at the moment when they cut Ezekiel Elliott. And I thought I was so smart and I got in good. 
But it, now it's becoming very apparent that Bijan's not going to be on the board for them. And uh, unless Dallas makes a drastic uh, trade-up, that is dead money. Yeah, I've got some dead money on my end as well. And I'll say it was betting Joey Porter Jr. under 16 and a half. And I felt pretty good when I took it at first at plus 140. I heard a pretty convincing handicap by Anthony Amico. And I do want to say, just because I'm claiming that I bet this off of somebody else's handicap, that's not to dodge accountability. It was my decision to place this bet. And so this is nothing against Anthony. I still do respect his opinion. Yeah. But the interesting thing here was that the Porter bet moved my way at first, and then it took a hard swing in the opposite direction. I'm seeing now 19 and a half juiced heavily to the over. So three picks plus that swing and vig, I can pretty much chalk that up as a loss. I feel like especially when we're looking at a draft betting market, the late info is often more likely than the early info to prove correct at the end of the day. Well, it's not dead. It's not dead. It, it might, you might've mistimed the market, but Washington could just still walk up 16th overall. They have a need for a corner and draft Joey Porter. So I'd hold out hope for you. I'm more, I'm willing to trade you my Dallas bet for your Joey Porter bet. <laughs> like I have more optimism in your bet still being alive than my dead bet. Oh, man, I was going to say from your lips to Dan Snyder's ears, but but I guess we'll have to see uh, somebody else calling the shots in Washington moving forward. But if they want to take Porter at 60, that was part of the handicap, was thinking that they might be a floor of sorts for Porter. If that holds true, then, yeah, won't be feeling so bad come the middle of the first round. Yeah. Well, George, I want to also get into a fun little thought exercise here that uh, hat tip to Gil Alexander of the Beating the Book podcast. He also walked through it in his draft betting preview earlier this week scenarios that would make or break your draft and starting on the positive side let's put some good out into the universe despite the craziness of the will levis rumors today how would you describe a scenario that would really make this an awesome betting draft for you okay this is the perfect five for me bryce young goes number one will levis goes number two even though i have tyree wilson positions I'll explain once I get into it why uh, Will Levis is better to go here. Will Levis goes number two. Somebody wants C.J. Stroud so bad, and they jump Indy to go to three to get C.J. Stroud. So I'll have a C.J. Stroud third overall bet. Indy, unhappy with the options. They do not want to take Anthony Richardson at four. They say, you know what? Maybe we trade our second-round pick for Trey Lance. And they go at four and they say, you know what? We need a corner. We've lost Stefan Gilmore and they draft Devin Witherspoon. I have him as the first defensive player taken. This is also a dead ticket, but at plus 6,000, right? So the whole thought process was if it goes quarterback, 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 I don't think Indy wants quarterback four. And I thought a corner is just as big as need as edge and maybe they value Devin Witherspoon over one of the edges. And then number five, Anthony Richardson. That's the dream scenario. Uh, if that top five happens, um, I'm, I'm going to be the happiest guy you know in Toronto. You might, you might not be in Toronto. You might be on your own private island at that point. <laughs> not quite, but uh, oh, you know what? I may not be the happiest guy. It all depends on how the Leafs do on Thursday night, which... For some reason, the Maple Leafs have a chance to close out the series and it happens to fall on my favorite sports night of the year, the NFL draft round one. I don't know what I'm going to do. Sounds like the best catch 22 I've ever heard of, but 
best of luck to your Leafs. And I will say I am definitely rooting for your dream scenario as well, particularly at the top. We're eye to eye on the top two picks that will make our drafts. Grace Love Young, it. one. Will Levis, two. And I would say Tyree Wilson, three, would really be a cherry on top if that trifecta can hit. As I mentioned, I've got Young going one at plus 225, Levis going two at 20 to one. I think similar to you, big hat tip to Suma on the yeah. Forward Progress podcast. And Tyree Wilson, first defensive player, not the best number that was ever out there, but I was able to get plus 180 before it really started to move. Hat tip there to Vegas Refund on the Fifth Year Option podcast. And also that three pick is going to be key because I too am involved on the Anthony Richardson over Thanks to a good friend, over three and a half, minus 260. Um, yeah, appreciate people helping other people get down in times in this whole endeavor. Hitman had a good tip on it last week. So if we see Young, Levis, and Tyree Wilson as the top three picks, then uh, I too will be a very happy man come Thursday evening. Let's hope one of us is is absolutely happy and it doesn't go Levis one and then chaos after that. Yeah, just to realize that that However remote it may seem, anything is possible. So, so to brace ourselves and, and kind of as a pre-mortem, accept whatever comes our way on Thursday night. To accept that up front, how would you describe, George, the scenario that would break your draft? Uh, Will Levis going one would be a disaster. That would be the biggest disaster. Uh, Anthony Richardson going in the top three would be a disaster. Uh, Christian Gonzalez going ahead of Devin Witherspoon would be a disaster. And everybody else being right about Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, would also be a disaster. All right. We're in a similar boat there. So I'm not going to belabor the point. Yeah, I will just note that if Anthony Richardson goes in the top three, then uh, that would that would really sting. And if Will Anderson becomes the first defensive player taken, then that would also burn the equity on the Tyree Wilson ticket. So. I feel good. I feel like our dream scenario is more likely than our nightmare scenario. But either way, it sounds like on both our ends, it's pretty top heavy. I would say that as I think about it, the first three picks are going to account for less than 10% of the first round. But that's going to determine the majority of my betting outcome. Really? So you are you like, because a lot of what I do is over-unders. Like, I don't want to bore you with this guy over 16 and a half was my favorite bet or a lot of my portfolio is that is a lot of your portfolio, like nailing the exact pick. And if so, what was the appeal of doing that versus the over-unders? So most of the time I definitely gravitate toward the over-unders again, binary markets where there's less hidden vig. I feel like a lot of times these betting menus, I'm looking at, you know, a DraftKings right now, all the way down to the number 10 overall pick. They've got like dozens of names. There some really big plus numbers, yeah. but Dalton Kincaid, a hundred to go, a hundred to one to go tenth overall. That sounds great, a hundred to one ticket. I mean, it's it's probably you could add another zero to that to get a true probability. So a lot of times these big plus numbers, when there are a lot of options for any one betting outcome, tend to be misleadingly enticing. Whereas yeah. in binary outcomes, oftentimes there can be a big minus number that's not high enough, factoring in true probabilities and the lack of books hiding excessive amounts of vig. So typically I will look to go toward binary outcomes. In this case, again, it's just when I was first starting to look at the market. I mean, there wasn't much of a market for the longest time, aside from who's going to go first overall, found a good number on Young. I really trust Zuma. I really trust you. I really trust Hitman. A lot of times it comes down to people I trust the most in the betting community, as well as the guys like Jeremiah, Zerline, Dame Brugler, Peter Schrager. So yeah. if there's just a nice confluence of trusted sources nudging me in one way, 
and I can shop around a little bit and get a good number, then I'm going to let that mean a lot more than my own personal opinion. I, I could not have rattled off the Ohio state wide receiver stats in the last few years. Like you did. I don't know that much about everybody's measurables and, and how they project based on scouting reports. I just know who I trust and let them do a lot of the legwork. So that has guided me this year more than most to have some non-binary positions, but I mean, it's just a number that's gone now, but things like Will Levis under six and a half minus 270, that was just from a few days ago, but things like that. I mean, uh, once I get word of certain things, I will absolutely wager on them accordingly, but I've tried not to get too rigid in my approach just because more often than not, if you don't have a good sense of what you're doing, you probably want to stick to binary outcomes. That doesn't mean that if you've got some really good info or if something just seems like it's mispriced, it doesn't mean that you can't get involved in those other markets. So I hear what you're saying. Usually over-unders are better than trying to pick an exact slot or marry a team to a position that can get really dicey in a hurry. Yeah. But more often than in past drafts, I feel like I've just ended up landing on a little bit of everything this year. And maybe it's because the market has been so scattered in terms of how it's developed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You don't need to know everybody's measurables and stats and that stuff's not as important. If you know uh, what sources to listen to, does it, if it makes sense and if it's priced right, you can make money in the NFL draft. The books hate offering on the NFL draft. They're giving us less markets, less limits, and they're taking longer to populate the markets. It should tell you just how scared they are to line stuff in the NFL draft. Absolutely. Well, George, I think that at least we're starting to get a bit of a market now and draft day is shaping up to be another fun one. I feel like it's going to be a good one for you and fingers crossed because we've got some alignment near the top of the board. And if we're going to be enjoying watching the draft, I imagine that might also involve a drink in hand or two. I know from our last conversation, weaving in the hops here, again, it doesn't have to be the hops. There's a time and place for everything. It sounds like from some top shelf whiskey to some really fine wine, you might have something really good lined up. So how's that side of your draft day lineup looking right about now? All right. So, my viewing experience of the NFL draft is different than a game. A game, I'm very intense. I'm very, I'm paying attention to multiple games. I'm very intense. I'm getting mad at stupid penalties. The NFL draft, it's like, okay, my work's done. I enjoy wine when I'm watching something like the draft, watching the Oscars. You know, when you're settling in to the evening, I'm going to go to California where you are. I'm going to go. For a red Cabernet Sauvignon, I'm going to go for J-Lore. It's not an expensive bottle. Uh, Good bang for your buck red wine. And if the draft goes well and the Leafs advance, then we may switch over to some champagne. Sounds like a beautiful approach. And I'll just add that I generally don't drink on school nights. I try to be fairly disciplined about it. All good things in moderation. But if we see Young, Levis, and Wilson go off the board one, two, three, I don't think I'm going to be able to avoid the beer fridge. So I might be right there with you. Maybe not some champagne if all goes according to plan, but something really good on the higher end, nevertheless. Can I tell you something? Nobody likes to taste the champagne. It's awful. It, it, it's it's just a celebratory thing. But champagne sucks. And and it's not just like, you know, the, the cheap stuff. Even the expensive stuff just does not taste good. I'm right there with you. I... I can't do it. I mean, if I'm at a wedding or there's a fancy occasion and, and somebody wants to toast, of course, I will partake. But I feel like it's, in my mind, from my own personal experience, so much more maybe symbolic than anything else. It 100% is. 100%. All right. Well, potentially a, a good reason to celebrate symbolic or not with champagne and 
your end on Thursday evening. I think if we want to round the corner here from the hops and also weave in another pillar of the show, the Malinsky minute, one thing I'd like to talk about with you, George, is that Dave always bet seemingly beneath his means. And, and I think there was a clear intent behind that. Yep. I don't know what exactly he bet, but I got the sense that he really tried to stay beneath his means. And I'm going to share an oversimplified example to illustrate a concept that he taught me when I got to know him. And that was that a $10 bet is 1% the risk amount of a $1,000 bet. Yet the entertainment value, if you're talking about the sweat of a $10 bet, that can often be way more than 1% the sweat of a $1,000 bet. And from a bankroll management standpoint, the pain of a potential loss, much more manageable at that lower scale. I think that could outweigh the emotional trade-off of a smaller win if you scale down your bet sizing. And to marry this with another core principle from the draft, you've touched on it, all the uncertainty. I just think it's important, especially for what we're going to see on Thursday night, to expect the unexpected. We talked about uncertainty at the very top, especially Houston at two, Arizona at three. The Raiders are no strangers to using top 10 picks on guys without first round grades. The Patriots to using first round picks on guys with third round grades. A lot of trades that we think make a lot of sense probably won't end up happening. Trades that we can't foresee are almost inevitably going to happen. So that could wipe out a lot of fits that we see at this stage for certain players to certain teams at certain slots that make all the sense in the world doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition. So when it comes to wagering within your means, embracing the chaos that comes with the draft, I can get on board there. But I also know that it's a big betting opportunity. And Hitman just last week said, go big now, because we've seen how crazy this draft betting market has been to develop. We don't know how many more bites at the Apple we're going to get. So all things considered, George, what's your point of view on maximizing the opportunity that comes with an NFL draft without overextending yourself at the same time? Uh, I wish I would listen to myself and and be disciplined and have a set amount of bankroll that I want to spend on the draft. But the problem is uh, I want to bet as many opportunities as I can. Uh, The limits are a lot lower um, than I tend to bet on a game. So it's not like I'm um, in in a situation money wise where I'm putting myself at risk. It's just my portfolio is too large. This can happen at the Super Bowl when you end up with too many prop bets. I'm not that bad at the Super Bowl, but the NFL draft, I have like I'm not even going to know if I've done well until I calculate everything um at the end of the draft. That's that's how many that's not so many different bets I have and I have no clue um if I break even or if I make money. Uh, let's hope I make money. It sounds like if the draft is Christmas Day in your neck of the woods, then it is a full slate of presents under the Christmas tree based on that loaded portfolio and the Sofidis family. And George, let's just hope. I think we'll have a good sense once the top three to five picks are read how it's all going to turn out. Maybe you'll have some careful rounding to do through a fog of champagne if all goes well, but feeling cautiously optimistic here. And I really want to thank you for all that you've shared, not just with a few picks sprinkled in, but really, again, so much process and really insight that's going to be tough to find just about anywhere else from your unique perspective so to anybody who's enjoyed this conversation gotta say if you're not doing so already follow george on twitter at george Silfidis. that's george t-s-i-l-f-i-d-i-s and also be sure to check out the monday grind podcast george thank you so much for the time and insight as we are just nipping at the heels of i guess your favorite day of the year matt thanks for having me i love talking football i love talking the draft And I love coming on to your podcast. 
we'll have to do it again before too long as futures markets begin to take shape. And then before we know it, another season's going to be here. So we'll do it again soon. I've got to say also before signing off, happy birthday to Mrs. Props and Hops on the day of this episode's release, April 26th. Nothing like an NFL draft betting podcast to celebrate your wife's birthday. So going to kick the morning off right on that note. And to the audience, thank you for tuning in this week. Best of luck with your bets on this year's NFL draft. Props and hops and hops.